Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Roller coaster year for Baylor. Win the national title in basketball, have their league blow up in the summer, but now they're cleared. Pete Thamel. Clay Helton wears asbestos pants, man. The guy's been on the hot seat more times. With SI's Pat Forty. Tremendous. When I opened that file up, and the first thing I see is the UK letterhead, I was like, what? Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. I welcome to the pod. Hope everyone is doing well as we head into the summer weekend. Uh, I want to run through a few news items before we get to uh, one of our favorite topics. Who's getting fired? (laughs) Coaching hot seat. We could tell you all sorts of promising things. We could tell you that some team looks looking incredible coming out of two-a-days or whatever they're doing these days. They're connected. Best summer they've ever had in the weight room. (laughs) Really like our outside linebacker room. Oh, yeah. Aggressive scheme. Scheme is going to be more aggressive. <laughs> That's right. Blitz more oh, on yeah. defense. Open it up on offense. Quarterback friendly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we even get the strength, guys. We're lifting yeah. weights. All now. the opt outs are back. They've opted back in. <laughs> but we don't want to do that. We want to talk about who's going to suck and end up unemployed and humiliated with a pile of money, granted. But so we'll get to that. A uh, couple things, though. Good night for the uh, NCAA staff. The infractions committee has handed down a $5,000 fine again. It's slippery noodle night. <laughs> Baylor night go. at the slippery noon, the slippery noodle Inn in Indianapolis, 5,000 get drunk on them. You think the bartenders see it uh, scroll across the bottom line and high five. <laughs> oh, yeah. They know the big tips are coming. <laughs> noodle says, yep. Set up the shot glasses. They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Staff party. <laughs> The uh, Committee on Infractions released their Baylor findings from five years ago. And basically what they found out was they're not they don't have the jurisdiction to punish Baylor for these things. Uh, I don't know why that takes five years. But, hey, think about how many uh, free extra nights and Marriott points they got at the courtyard Waco (laughs) hanging out down there. (laughs) Art Bryles declared victory. Not really sure there was a victory there. Yeah, that Uh, that took some uh, brazen. uh assertiveness on his part yeah that's him right that's how he calls his plays what else you expect yeah yeah could also yeah no no mention of any of the any of the distressed people who got hurt in this thing could not conclude that baylor violated ncaa rules when it failed to report allegations of and address sexual and interpersonal violence committed on its campus this should not be the ncaa's purview they gave it a shot for penn state which they shouldn't have certainly in hindsight they definitely shouldn't have but they did but Baylor is is free from that. So Baylor's had a tough couple weeks here with their league blowing up. Roller coaster year for Baylor. They win the national title in basketball, have their league blow up in the summer. But now they're cleared, but they're out five Gs. Plenty of thoughts, but uh, keeping it relatively brief, because I, I do think this is one of those where the eyes do tend to glaze over a little bit for the for a lot of fans out there. It's like, oh, here's the NCAA doing nothing again. In this situation, I say stop blaming the NCAA. It is what it is. We know it's incredibly flawed and to a degree toothless, but I don't think the NCAA should be involved in necessarily trying to legislate morality here. Dan, you and I talked way back on the Yahoo Sports Radio Network when this when the subject was Penn State about this same thing of this is too serious for the NCAA. 
This is a matter for law enforcement. This is a matter for the Department of Education. It's a, a matter for Baylor University. If it had any accountability whatsoever, which it clearly did not under Kenneth Starr, I, I don't necessarily sit there and say, yes, I want the NCAA to lay down the law for something that happened six, seven years ago in a football context uh, for things that, that, that were far different than what the, the rules manual generally covers. So you can complain about the NCAA, you know, failing yet again. And I, I look, I understand that. I mean, the three, in my opinion, the three worst things that have happened in the last 10 years in college athletics have been, um, maybe not the worst, but the most systematically egregious. Penn State, uh, North Carolina academics, Baylor uh, assault cases. The NCAA is whiffed on all three. They tried. They overstepped their bounds on Penn State. They had to walk that back. They had to re reduce the sanctions that Mark Emmert tried to apply. They just failed to be able to uh, apply anything to North Carolina. And then they were out of their jurisdiction basically here with Baylor. So if you look at it from that standpoint, you say, what is the NCAA worth? But in my opinion, again, I don't think this is where the NCAA should be necessarily to get, begin with. If you're looking for the NCAA to solve this problem, you're looking at the wrong people. Yeah, so I'm going to spin this forward. And the interesting takeaway to me was Scott Thompson, the lawyer for Art Brile. Scott Thompson has uh, represented many of the uh, fine ethical gentlemen who've uh, who've graced the Committee on Infractions uh, over the past, uh, what, 15 years, Pat? You've been dealing with Scott yep. Thompson? Something Busy like that. that. Veteran of the yeah. process. Veteran of the yes. process. Yes, it's like a funeral home. Like you know, they're, you're assured business if you're representing like cheaters of college athletics. What a what a uh, niche, what a cottage industry, right? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I make most of my money Scott on. Scott uh, Thompson, if if he doesn't already own half a Caribbean island, he he will soon. When like when Kansas case gets resolved, that's the Jim Calhoun wing of my beach house. That's the <laughs> yeah. Rick Pitino wing of my beach house. I mean, Art Briles, you probably get a whole guest house out of uh, out of out of him. So. Here's spinning this forward. Uh, Scott Thompson Scott Thompson used the word exonerated to describe Art Riles, um, which I just think is completely preposterous, like any rational thinking person who remembers the allegations in Baylor could. So if you are going to hire Art Riles, right, like to spin it forward, because we're going to be talking about hot seat and Texas Tech, quite frankly, is going to end up on the, you know, in, in, in the conversation in the hot seat. And that's like the one place where everyone is assumed will have a low enough ethical threshold where they may consider hiring Art Riles now that he's quote-unquote exonerated. I'm using air quotes and sarcasm um, for folks who can't see me and understand my uh, Northeast tone in uh, in that. So if you hire Art Briles, if you're going to consider hiring Art Briles, this is what you are going to go up against. And this is from the committee's report, quote, in each instance, when the head coach received information from a staff member regarding potential criminal conduct by a football student athlete, he did not report the information and did not personally look any further into the matter. He generally relied on information provided to him and his staff and likewise relied on them to handle problems. His incurious attitude toward potential criminal conduct by student athletes was deeply troubling to the panel. So basically, Art Bryles put on a blindfold, stuck his hands in his ears when there was just multiple sexual assault allegations, there were multiple physical violence allegations, and just said, la, 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 I can't hear you, let's go beat Oklahoma State. And so if you hire Art Bryles, because people are going to be tempted now, don't, don't think for a second, you look, look at some of the beauties that they've recycled in college athletics because they can win. Um, it, it will be really interesting to see if the shaming that the committee attempted to do because they were embarrassed, essentially, that they couldn't actually punish Art Bryles will be enough to deter an athletic department from hiring. It's going to be close. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a legitimate debate. I yeah. mean, I, yeah, I win. It's not out of the question that somebody will try. That's for sure. Correct. Yeah. I. By the way, I'm not endorsing this. I want to be very no, clear no. about that. But <laughs> But I am just basically saying, don't underestimate the ethical threshold of people who run athletic departments and universities. 100%. A lot of money at stake there. All right. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss coach. Mississippi Rebels are 100% uh, vaccinated. He's got his team 100% vaccinating, according to Lane Kiffin. 
do like that coaches can say everyone's vaccinated, but they couldn't tell you whether it's the uh, left ankle or the right pinky <laughs> finger that was injured because that would be a HIPAA violation. Yeah. But no, whatever. But he's using this to promote uh, vaccines. Get your vax, get stabbed in a state of Mississippi, which it, I believe I read was last in in uh, vaccinations. If not, it's it's probably pretty low. It's it's down there. And uh, so there's plenty of room for room for growth there. Look, I don't think anyone at this point, I don't think you can convince anyone of anything. Like if like I, I personally couldn't wait to get vaccinated. There's nothing anyone could tell me that would make me regret my decision. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, you're right. Now that I thought of that, I'm not going to convince anyone. Nobody's going to be convinced. They're not going to be convinced by Lane Kiffin. You can get vaxxed or not vaxxed. We're on a podcast. I don't got to be near you. So it's all good. Did anyone see, just in a general scope, Lane Kiffin becoming, like, I think he was on MSNBC. Morning like, Joe. Promoting, Morning Joe, which probably has a TV rating of point zero 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 one in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, it's the, remember the, the Guntown Kangaroo Democratic Club, right? It's like one lady drinking herbal tea, watching Rachel Maddow. That's the whole club. Like, I don't think anyone in Mississippi is watching, but he was on. Like, I just didn't see this turn, whether you agree or disagree. Okay. We don't want to turn this into a, you know, mask up Mississippi argument or some crap like that. I don't need it. But I just never saw this coming out of lane. He's always there to surprise you. I would have been like, I could see Mike Leach being like, you know, you will, you know, like laying down like a Tiananmen Square, like you will, you will vaccinate me over my dead body. I could see that coming. That's okay. And again, whatever your opinion, I just didn't see Lane becoming all of a sudden on the morning Joe. I didn't see it, but apparently he was on promoting vaccines. Pete, did you see it coming? Well, I thought about it today, and I have a story coming up on, on Yahoo where uh, our editors asked, do you think the – so four of the five lowest vax rates are in SEC states, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. Wyoming is the other one, in case you were wondering. And they said, could Lane's fully vaccinated team – Nick Saban's been very vocal proponent. Coach O was an early proponent. Could – their beloved SEC teams ch help change, alter, promote vaccination rates there. And I asked some experts, and it, the short answer was, it's nice and it's great they're doing it, but but probably not. So here's what I think Lane is doing. So there, Lane's always got an angle. And God bless him, right? No, nobody's had more like turns and twists and identities than Lane. I've known him. We've all known him for, for a very long time since he was kind of the mischievous coordinator during the uh, Pete Carroll era at USC. I really think Mike Leach's public ambivalence toward the vaccine. He has been quoted saying he will not reveal whether or not he's vaccinated, which is fine. He has every right to do that. So I think Lane sees a publicity advantage and maybe down the road, a bit of a recruiting advantage here. Hey, you know what? Like there's been plenty of reasons to recruit against Ole Miss and Oxford, Mississippi over the years, right? So if Lane becomes like the face of public health in the South, I think <laughs> that becomes a positive. I mean, you, you laugh, but like, you, you know that you higher up people in university systems would much rather have Lane Kiffin on Morning Joe than Mike Leach sort of not saying much. Just like, you know, Nick Rolovich, his own president, came out and, and, and criticized him publicly for, uh, for not being vaccinated. And so I just think, like, it's smart politics by Lane here. Like, Nobody is going to criticize Lane Kiffin to a very loud decibel for being pro-vaccine, right? Like it's a very safe place to be. So if he amps up the volume and he amps up the attention, it's only going to shine a light on the ambivalence in Starkville. So that is that is my that's your theory. that is my that is my theory. That is a theory. It is just a theory. But Lane Lane is a mischievous fella. He doesn't. It do all anything, comes anything back to the acts. egg bowl. It all comes back to recruiting. Yes, hundred yes. percent. That's where, I mean, there are a handful of coaches. I think you can look at it in football and basketball where all they do is think, what can help me in recruiting? And I would put Lane Kiffin at or near the top of that list in football. And I think this is 100% geared toward that. First of all, beyond even recruiting, though, is the, is the absolute pragmatism of if we're all vaccinated, we have a better chance of not having any games canceled or having our season blow up like North Carolina State baseball did. So you start with that. Okay. 
What's gonna what what's the one thing, you know, beyond X's O's, uh, broken legs, or anything like that that could stop us from winning a COVID outbreak that takes out half of our team and we end up having to forfeit games. So all right, we're gonna take care of that. But then yes, I think Pete, I think you're right. All politics is local. And in those vicious state rivalries, you counter-program your rival to the best that you can. Still, though, it is the state of Mississippi, which, according to what I'm looking at here from the New York Times map, is the second least vaccinated in terms of fully vaccinated. Alabama is last in America at 35.0. Mississippi is second to last at 35.4. You have a lot of your constituents there who want no part of this vaccine. So... He's staking. He's staking a yeah. He's staking a minority position here. He is. He is absolutely taking a minority position. So there's some risk involved in that. But I think here's the way I figure most football coaches think about this, and certainly Lane Kiffin would apply. If I win, nobody's going to care. And I'm sure Lane thinks he's going to win. He thinks his team's going to be pretty good this year. They maybe should be pretty good. They should probably be better than Mississippi State, which is the most first first most important place to start. Uh, could they maybe even be the third best team or fourth best team in the SEC West? Yes. So I think he's riding a little bit of that excitement and momentum. Plus, let's take care of our season. And yes, to Pete's point, counter program, the other coach in the state. I'm suspicious that there isn't like a four star linebacker whose mom <laughs> works at the hospital in Jackson or something. I, I just I don't know. <laughs> it's entirely hey. possible. Or Lane just could be that he just he's found a thing. He's he's taking a stand on this. I never saw it coming. Maybe people listen to him. Maybe they don't. Maybe people are less likely to get it because Lane Giffen's in favor of it. Who the hell knows? But if you win, you can pretty much have any politics, right? It's kind of brings my story. Exactly what I said. Like when John Calipari took a knee during the uh, anthem last year, and all of a sudden got crushed like by Kentucky fans. Like after eh, eighteen and one, when he takes the knee, it's all right. You and know, it's courageous, Cal. Yeah, that is courageous, Cal. But we're losing, so uh, you're an un-American, John Calipari. So speaking of Calipari, this one I did want to get to. We we mentioned this before: the Dino Gaudio uh, extorting Louisville basketball coach Chris Mack story. <laughs> this okay? is a good one. This if is- you remember this from the off season. Now Dino Gaudio is a long time. A college basketball figure. He was best friends with Skip Prosser at, in Wheeling, West Virginia at high school, kind of followed Skip Prosser up the ranks. He was Chris Skip Prosser, the great uh, Wake Forest and Xavier coach's uh, assistant. He recruited Chris Mack to Xavier. Uh, they worked together. They're part of the same family tree. And then all of a sudden last year, uh, Dino Gaudio doesn't want to, he, he's trying to get paid as full amount so he doesn't get fired. And he kind of threatens to, uh, to tell tell some recruiting violations on Chris Mack. And Chris Mack tapes the phone call or the, the meeting and then turns it over to the FBI and he gets arrested and charged with extortion. Just absolutely just sends the guy down the river. Extort, like, dials it up. Maybe Gaudio was wrong, but dials it up. And all of a sudden, like, when I first heard the first, we talked about this, but the first headline came, like, college basketball coach, you know, arrested for extortion. If he had given me a thousand guesses, like number 968 would have been Dino Gaudio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have got past a thousand. I, I mean, like, really? <laughs> Dino Gaudio, extorter. Okay. So in a, just a, blo- just a beautiful twist, just a beautiful twist. Dino is trying to obviously avoid uh, prison time uh, here. So he got some, some people around college basketball to write letters of support for him to the judge to say, look, he, he, maybe he did it. He did do it. I mean, there isn't really a lot of, um, yeah. he's admitted it? that he's admitted yeah. it. It's on tape. Yeah. But you know, so he gets, you know, Pete Gillen, the, the, the godfather of Xavier basketball, uh, Fran McCaffrey from Iowa, different. And he gets John Calipari, the head coach at Kentucky and the arch rival of Louisville and Chris Mack's number one enemy at this point to write a letter on behalf of him to get uh, leniency in the sentencing. Now, Pat, in the annals of the UK-Louisville <laughs> rivalry, which you have detailed uh, tremendously, where do we get a Kentucky head coach seeking leniency to a judge for an, a Louisville assistant? Is this more or less wild than the time the two guys fought at the dialysis <laughs> machine 
the dialysis, those two old guys at the dialysis clinic fought over who was going to win the Louisville, Kentucky game. Yeah, I mean, that's still probably the benchmark, you know? I mean, two, two dudes in for dialysis for failing kidneys who go to blows. That, that, <laughs> that's hard to beat. But this is way up there. This is really good. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I... I I, I would like to envision Cal actually like volunteering, like jumping through the phone. I will absolutely do that. And hey, is somebody going to publicize the letters when they come out? Because let's make uh, yeah. sure that gets out there. You know, public I mean, record. Public. Oh, he would have yeah. written fifteen pages if he had to. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, this is when Cal got to Kentucky, and his stated goal was to be like in Patino's head every single day. This is now part two, be inside Chris Mack's head every single day. And I think this ties back directly, Chris Mack putting out that very bravado-filled video last December or November when they couldn't agree on a date to play each other. And Mack went at Cal really hard about playing the playing date. Uh, and they, got, they said they were going to do it when Kentucky and when Cal wanted it the day after Christmas. Uh, and so I think that, that got Cal going. You know, that Cal always needs somebody to hate. He needs somebody to go. I need somebody to be, I want to ruin that guy's every waking minute if I can. And now he's got his motivation. And this is just tremendous. When I open that file up and the first thing I see is the UK letterhead. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And then the second thing I thought was, golly, I wish I had a talk radio show in Louisville this morning. Because that would be great. <laughs> in the Annals of John Calipari Petty, this rivals my favorite. Remember when he left Memphis and Josh Passer took over? Wasn't there like a cotton candy machine or an ice cream machine? Snow cone. The, snow <laughs> cone machine. There it is. Snow cone. Sorry. Forgive me for having the wrong carnival treat in my, in my mind. But there snow was like cones. a battle royale over the snow cone machine. <laughs> that they served the like, campers. They'd make, they'd make oh. snow cones. During the camp, basketball yeah. camp for the 10 year olds and make, you know, you make a lot of this high margin on those snow cones, right? It's oh, yeah. Ice and sure. some like, yeah. yeah. It's ice with red sugar. And so there was a question sugar. on whether Memphis owned the snow cone machine <laughs> or Calipari owned the snow cone machine. And oh. Calipari wanted this snow cone machine. Yeah. And Josh Pastor, the new head coach at Memphis, didn't want to give it up. Yeah. And there was a massive dispute over who owned, <laughs> how much is a snow cone machine? These men are making millions and millions of dollars yes. and they're arguing over a snow cone machine. Well, that was, yeah. And there was all the talk too about Cal, like took all the, all the shorts and the t-shirts and everything else too. <laughs> took, like everything but the last speck of hoo hash. Hey, might as well. <laughs> so the, the letter is just like classic disingenuous John Calipari. When Dino was at ESPN, he worked numerous basketball camps at the University of Kentucky over the past decade. I wanted someone with Coach Gaudio's morals, values, and character interacting with our players at Kentucky, our camp coaches, as well as our campers. His strong religious beliefs and his family values make him someone I want our staff and players to exemplify. He has been and continues to be an excellent role model for all of the aforementioned. And it's it's like five more paragraphs of just that same <laughs> Bloated wow, tremendous. They, they have known each other many years. And uh, yeah, and uh, there were some nice things that he'd done for some assistant coaches. But it was John Calpar getting a chance to write Judge Beaton, U.S. District Court, Western District of Kentucky, and let him know that the, <laughs> the, 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 the guy who's at war with the Louisville coach, he's the, he's the good guy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, that's good stuff in the rivalry. Oh, I, and Chris Mack, just point out Chris Mack that, would that, write that back so quickly if it had been the if that had, right? Oh. You got to. You got to get your shot in. Absolutely. But they you just have to point out the the <laughs> only in college basketball. Do you have a coach who is accused of blackmailing his boss over potential NCAA violations, turning to a guy who's had two Final Fours vacated at two different schools for his character reference. It's perfect. Can't make it up. Might work, too. We'll see. We'll yeah, see what Dino work. gets. Free Dino. <laughs> Pat, I want you covering every inch of that trial. I want you there at 6 a.m. every day. I no, want you pled guilty, just taking notes. I want I want a book on the trial. Like, yeah, you you got to own that. I, I would love to. Right? But, yeah, the trial's been short-circuited. Yeah, G Dino's rolled over. So that now uh, he's just trying to mitigate the sentencing. Mm. Oh, well, that's no fun. Yeah, I Cal know. on the witness stand as a character ah. witness would have been, yeah. 
All right, let's get to this. Let, let's fire some people. All yes, right. let's fire some people. All right, how many? Let's not fire them. Let's say, let's just say, we'll give them a chance. We're going to give them a chance. How many wins and losses? Let's play this game. How many wins does does ex coach need to be the the coach at this job uh, a year from now? That's going to be that's going to be the game we're going to play. Okay, and we'll go go with you guys. Nebraska coach Scott Frost. How many wins this year? And, and it could be like one. He could just be safe. I'm not implying anything. I'm just picking names out of randomly picking names here out of college football. Nebraska coach Scott Frost. How many wins does he need to return? My guess is he would need seven wins, Dan. Frost is fascinating. This is it's it's all it's all the great forces that the podcast loves to mock and pillory at work here. You have a coach with a completely unnecessary contract extension who now to fire him would cost $20 million. So we'd really have to get the accountants to dig in whether this ends up passing Gus Malls on for the biggest buyout in uh, history. Charlie Weiss is certainly in that conversation. I think Gus was actually more than 20. So anyway, but it would cost $20 million. But I mean, you have to extend Scott Frost. I mean, he's been nine and 17 in the big 10. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, somewhere Bob Devaney is in heaven, you know, nodding his head, uh, nodding his head in approval. Um, <laughs> overall, he's a robust 12 and 20. So, you know, in the contract extension, they really stuck it to him. They only guaranteed the final two years for half. So he'd get paid $5 million a year in 22, 23, 24, and then only $2.5 million in 25 and 26 for a grand total of $20 million. The schedule is not user-friendly for Scott Frost. The Big Ten office, God bless him, is still needling Nebraska over being a little chesty during their uh, cancellation, decancellation dance. They open at Illinois in week zero, and then their, their second league game is at Michigan State. Not not exactly like the we run the league, you work for us kind of scheduling. So that means three of their first five games are road games. Oklahoma being a surefire loss. I would say the Illinois game and the Michigan State game are coin flips. They certainly could win those games, but they certainly could lose those games. I would think neither of those is more of a three-point spread, right? Um, Michigan State's sort of a blur of anonymous transfers, Illinois, who I, I don't see that as a bad like. I don't think they got after him on that. First off, Nebraska will have with, all the fans at Illinois with two road games. Nebraska, there will be more Nebraska fans in Champaign than Illinois fans. Mighty Nebraska is mm. opening with three of its first five games on the road, and then its home games are Fordham and Buffalo. So they could technically try to get Syracuse in a bowl and win the New York State title if they really want. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure be, they haven't hung a banner in Nebraska in a while, so maybe it's that. But Trev Alberts, if if they're down like 21 to seven in the third quarter in Champaign, he may just start passing a hat around in the uh, in the stands to start rallying that uh, that that 20 million. So I mean, the the schedule is brutal, you know, from there too, because the at Oklahoma is killer, and then you've still got to go. You got Ohio State at home. You're at Wisconsin. You're at Minnesota. You're Michigan at home. Your home, Iowa. Like I don't, I don't. And to me, yeah. it's the end. I mean, they got. Yeah. Oh. If if they don't beat Illinois and Michigan State, he's in a world of trouble because the it ends with Michigan. I mean, then you, that, I mean, there just isn't. There's Northwestern, Michigan. If you aren't beating Illinois and Michigan State, you're probably not beating Northwestern and Michigan, or or at Minnesota, Purdue. I don't know. And then you get Ohio State at Wisconsin, Iowa to end it. Uh, the Iowa game being at home, and if it's just that, that that to me is where it gets. Uh, they better make. They better be four and one. They're not gonna be. They're not gonna win at Oklahoma, and that could be embarrassing. Oklahoma's gonna try to make it embarrassing, but if they're not four and one coming out of East Lansing, or at least three and two, I don't know. So how many wins do they need? Moose said Pete eight said to nine. Seven. I think Pete said seven. I think seven's probably about right. I, I mean, I look at it this way. Trev Alberts, who, who comes in, brand new AD, brings plenty of ego to the table, but he's also a Nebraska guy who is a mid, a, a, an early 90s Tom Osborne guy. Scott Frost came in right after that. I, I don't think, I, I am sure Trev Alberts doesn't want to come in and knife Scott Frost as his first act of, on the job. It doesn't mean he wouldn't, 
But I think at seven and five, or even maybe even six and six, he might be able to survive. But I'm not sure they can go six and six. I, I mean, we'll see. They bring back a lot of players. How good are the players? I don't know. But Pete's right. I mean, as far as the, the schedule is hard. I, I'm, I mean, that Illinois game to me is fascinating. Okay, Illinois is not that good. Neither is Nebraska. Brett Bielema, first game on the job. Does he pump up the physicality of that team and make them better? Do they show up in a way that Illinois maybe hasn't the last few years? And are they ready for that big moment? That's where I think, okay, they the Illinois fans are not very passionate, but new coach, new era, haven't been in the stadium all year. I bet they show up and take more than half of the tickets there. So I, I think that's iffy. I think at Oklahoma, they get absolutely train wrecked, and then we'll see what kind of shape they're in when they go to East Lansing. And then after that, I think they're going to be five and four going to the last three games, Ohio State at Wisconsin, Iowa. I think you're lucky to get bowl eligible. And then it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. So I'd be curious. Uh, I know we have some Nebraska listeners on the pod. When is the last time Nebraska opened the season with three of its first five games on the road? I would think like never in modern football history. Maybe I'm dead wrong, but that's just that's just a thought in an, in 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 a, you know in a, in an assumption uh, in an assumption there. Yeah, it's uh, I don't see a path for for Scott Frost here now. They said this is his best team. This is what they built towards. They have some decent defensive players. There's like that little you know sort of. Whether it's manufactured optimism, it's still the you know the early season optimism. But boy, whew, whew. and if they lose at Illinois, I mean, you could be looking at two and ten. Yeah, I mean that's that big that game is like for a week zero Nebraska Illinois game. It's actually pretty intriguing. It really is. Yes, big. Yes. It is a big game for not being a big game. Right. Yes. Yeah. There, there you yes. go. That's but the yeah, way to put you do it. Not, yes. I guess that's uh, my point. In late in the year, you do not want to try to like we're getting better as the year went on. You might be, but Buckeyes aren't going to care. Badgers aren't going to care. Like those games aren't really. You know, if you're if you're not good enough early, you're not going to be good enough late. All right. Let's move on to number two. Staying in the Big Ten, Ann Arbor, Michigan. How many wins does Jim Harbaugh need to, to keep his job? He certainly could have lost it last year. There was plenty of sentiment to do that. The over-under win total, seven and a half. I have famously taken the over because I think yes. they can at least win. To one of, the, one of the bolder moments in pod history. It was. No, it was seven because that was my thing. Is like, well, if, you, if it's seven, you're going to get a push. So they have to go six and six to lose. So, like, that was. You're a shock I, jock, Dan. You're just saying stuff for attention. <laughs> we, know you, we know your drill. I'll still take the over. I think he, he better win eight or I don't think he's the coach. I'll say this. I think he has to win one game. He has to beat Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, I think one it's, it's, it's one. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty clear. Look, Western Michigan is is decent. That'll be the best MAC team that they face compared to Northern Illinois. They open versus Washington. That's a that's that's a big game, but that's that's a really intriguing game because like we were talking about Washington in the last spot. They went three and one last year. We don't know anything about Washington, right? Like it's just. John Donovan, the OC, really has an established offensive identity. They've had good players. Jimmy Lake's done a nice job, but like we don't know. So that game will be fascinating for for a, for a lot of different ways because there's an argument that they'll be favored in their first four games and go to Wisconsin at four and zero, which is that which they've done before, and then just laid down against Wisconsin and, and sort of started spiraling from there. But the schedule affords them an opportunity. But I really think that you don't cut your coach's pay in half, eliminate essentially any substantive buyout. They'd have to pay him $4 bucks to fire him to like get beat 62 to three by Ohio State again or whatever, you know, whatever, to, for, to have crossing patterns running through the state's nightmares for the past three years, which is essentially what, since Ryan Day has become the play calling OC there is what has happened in this, uh, in this game. Now look, new DC, they have two elite players on defense, Dax Hillenade and Hutchinson. Like there, there's some arguments there, but I just think that this is the season where all of those mediocre three-star Connecticut recruiting classes that Matt Dudek put together there and Jim Harbaugh was asleep at the wheel on. That's your roster. Those are your, you know, those are your guys playing 25, 30 snaps a game. Those are your guys running down on special teams. Michigan just isn't that talented. And that will show up all year but it will especially show up on November 27th at noon in Ann Arbor, which will be Jim Harbaugh's last stand. 
Well, the uh, yeah, I mean, really, one of the things that might have saved Harbaugh last year is not playing that game against Ohio State because, I mean, it took a lot of, like, you know, hemming and hawing to get around to keeping him in, in, in any way. And if you were trying to keep him off of an absolute beatdown again from uh, Ohio State, that would have been much harder to do. So... You know they could they could finesse it and give him this next chance and I you know I I, give, I thought Ward Manuel did a pretty good job getting through that and in a way where yeah they can they have greased the skids for getting rid of him. There's no doubt that Harbaugh's on the line here. They open with four in a row at home. They are all winnable, but Washington is also losable. And even Rutgers, look, they went triple OT against Rutgers last year. So let's not mark up any any league wins as automatic uh, for for Michigan. I look quarterback is going to be a huge issue. They brought in Alan Bowman from Texas tech. I mean, he wasn't even the full-time quarterback at Texas tech. He's not the answer. He's not going to come in and all of a sudden transform the offense. Cade McNamara had some very good moments for them. Is he that good? We'll see. Probably one of those two guys is it. They had Dylan or JJ McCarthy. I'm sorry. Who was in uh, for spring practice. You know, can he jump in immediately? I don't know. So, I mean, I, I think that, Harbaugh is going to be very much up against it at Wisconsin. Wisconsin has absolutely punked them two years in a row. I think they beat them again this year. They lost to Indiana last year. They can certainly lose to them this year. At Penn State, that's an L. Ohio State, certainly that's an L. And as Pete said, that could very well be the end right there. I think the key game, not that those other ones aren't, but Michigan State. They cannot lose to Michigan State again. Yeah, lose to Michigan State. First off, it's a bad team, but he, he loses to a, a bad Michigan State team, which is probably what it's going to be. Forget it. It's over right then. But I think he has to win at least eight. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, look, if he loses, if they go into Ohio State and they're not, you know, nine and two, they play the Buckeyes and it's not a not a bad game or something. Even then, I don't even think Michigan fans care about be- they want to beat Ohio State, but I don't even think that's a standard anymore. But you cannot lose to the Spartans. And right. you can't get yeah. blown out yeah. by Wisconsin every year, and you can't lose to Indiana and Rutgers. And so Michigan has to at least be that team that gets that they've always been, which is like their their floor is 9 and 3. And and if they're not even that, then what are we doing here? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I mean, what is the if if we're accepting below nine and three for Michigan, he's not the guy, and so I think eight is the bare minimum that he can somehow argue. But I don't even know if that'll get it get it for him. I think they'll get to eight, but it, it'll be close. But I, I think they can get to eight. But can they get to nine? I don't know. Him sticking around would be really good for the pod. Jim Harbaugh's been good for business. Let's been be good honest. For <laughs> like he's 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 a lot more interesting than if they hired you know just some like anonymous coordinator from uh, from somewhere else. We, uh, I think the we're last gonna talk thought, about it every every week, pretty much. Yes, yeah, that's it. yes. No, he's and he's so weird too, and he's interesting, and he crosses over. NFL people are interested in him. The whole thing. So February, mid February, Michigan gave Ward Manuel, the athletic director, a five year contract extension. All right. Ward Manuel proceeded to essentially contractually cut off Jim Harbaugh's knees. Then they changed the whole staff. They hired Ron Bellamy, high school coach. I'm sure you know a lot about Dan. They hired Mike Hart. I believe the school's all-time leading rusher, if not one of them, uh, from Indiana. They hire the D.C., Mike McDonald, young guy who was on uh, Harbaugh's brother's staff in Baltimore. They get they run out Ed Warner and, and move Sharon Moore from tight ends coach to O-line coach. And they bring in Matt Weiss, who'd been with him at Stanford. He's another young guy. So all of their coaches, I believe, are under 40 or darn close to it. The only coach remaining from the initial staff is Jay Harbaugh, Harbaugh's son. And what I when I look at this staff right now, and I look at the staff moves that were made in the offseason, I say, Ward Manuel basically said, all right, we need to get younger and we need better recruiters and we need to improve the environment. The environment in that building had not been good and Harbaugh had not been engaged and there was a distinct lack of energy. So they went young and they went recruiting and they said, you know what? If we lose again, at least the program isn't just stale. Like at least there's going to be young players coming in. At least our next, they, they have recruited reasonably well in this class. And I really think, it was Ward Manuel saying, 
this is almost like a bridge staff to potentially the next staff. If, does that make sense, guys? Whether it was that, whether it's a bridge staff, or whether it's a hard reset, you got one year to turn this around, I, I don't know exactly. But there, no matter what, there were substantive changes, uh, most most notably to the contract, that I think did very clearly paint this as a make-or-break season. Rarely has a school at this high of a profile said – put their coach on the hot seat as much as Michigan did contractually, Jim Harbaugh. I can I cannot think of an example of we're going to cut your pay in half. You're going to go from top five in the country to bottom four in the league. And we are going to design the buyout to make it user friendly to fire you. Yeah. Recruiting. It's okay. 15th in the country right now by Michigan standards. That's not good enough. So Michigan State's actually been pretty hot lately. huh? Yeah. Penn State, too. Yeah. Penn State and Notre Dame are much hotter in the area, and obviously Michigan State uh, has got a bunch of kids, and uh, not not great there. All right, let's move. Let's go south. We coming, <laughs> LSU football. How many wins does Coach O need to be back? And I do know he won the national title. This is the SEC, and this is Coach O. Is there a number? Could be. Maybe he's safe. That's your opinion. But how many wins does he need? To uh, what five and five last year it was a it was an ugly season. Over under win total bet MGM is eight and a half. Eight and so a half. That's your okay. if you want to take that as your consensus yep. bid. I'll, I'll read the schedule. They're at UCLA. We have mentioned that game a bunch. Uh, opening weekend, a, a, a huge game. Uh, even if neither of these teams are national title contenders, and I don't really think that. I mean, look, if LSU's a national title contender, then we're idiots forever talking about this. They got McNeese. They got Central. They're at Mississippi State. They get Auburn. They're at Kentucky. I mean, like, if, if this is LSU, uh, you're rolling into mid-October in the top, uh, you know, in the country at that point. Then they get Florida at Ole Miss, at Bama, Arkansas. They end with Monroe Warhawks, Louisiana Monroe. And then you got the pacemaker game uh, against Texas A&M. <laughs> in Baton Rouge. The Should we bring up... One of the Should we bring up the bean pot right now to hijack yeah. the conversation? Oh, oh, the bean pot. Do we want to talk about the bean pot? Because <laughs> I was not? thinking if we should make an actual pacemaker trophy for the pacemaker game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, alert listener Nat Long made a bean pot. Remember, we talked about who would win the bean pot uh, between Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. Who would win yeah. this round robin this year? Sully uh, very engaged in this, by the way. Yes. This is this round is robin Sully of, out of bed some Saturday morning. Right. Round robin of bad teams uh, with new coaches. Would win a bean pot uh, in the spirit of the uh, hockey tournament held in I'll Boston. go on the record and say I think Mizzou and Kentucky are going to fall in that category as well. Right. I think the East right. sucks. Adding teams <laughs> to the bean pot. All right. Yeah, Maybe yeah. we should have more teams in the bean pot. Put everything I, in the One thing about baked beans throw you know like <laughs> some, throw a lot in there got some bacon yeah it's like northeast gumbo like it's, it's got something <laughs> northeast gumbo. throw it in there yeah, one some bacon some peppers yeah yeah what's in a what's in welcome what to is boston in market <laughs> got the chicken yeah. sink and our baked beans yeah, get our beans yeah uh, but dan actually know. has a bean pot from a listener I now i'm a possession a of a bean pot. text message uh, stickers, yeah. the whole thing. We appreciate listener uh, interaction with the show. Let's not try to make the trophies, though. There was, is it, you know. <laughs> oh, man, that yeah. long, it, it was delivered. It showed up at your house. Am I right? Yeah, well, I have a bean pot. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did not have pot. one before. Maybe I should make some baked beans <laughs> now that I have a, now that I have a pot. Sh- showed How up at your house, and I think it had the, did it not have the logos of the three schools? Yeah, on it the logos of, I mean, of the three schools and the SEC logo. Yeah, I mean, this is like some listener overachievement right here. Uh, perhaps mm. look, disturbing amount of overachievement, but still, you know what? Yeah. Give the man credit for effort. Yeah, thank you. Uh, An we appreciate chest. like when when listeners send us stories on Twitter, like about you know yeah. apes roaming in Albania, and you know all the things <laughs> like that that we've be, that our brand has become the low bar our brand has set. Um, you know, just wacky stories about animal attacks and chicken wars and different things. We really do appreciate that. We 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 sent yes. around in a group text. We 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 love and enjoy that we could give people the joy of sharing zaniness, and that's what we try to focus this podcast on: the absurdity of college sports. And yeah, uh, yeah we found some new absurdity 
this week. <laughs> that was it. I got to tell you, the podcast is really weird. Uh, it's taken over parts of our life when I, I get a package unannounced. I open it up and there's a bean pot <laughs> with a bunch of SEC school <laughs> logos. And I go, oh, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> yep. Uh, Someone made the bean pot. Just uh, tremendous. Just I can't tremendous wait to mail it to Clark Lee and see how he reacts. This yeah, year. we actually <laughs> yeah. hand it out. Oh. We really do have to deliver that to whoever. We, we, I mean, seriously, that thing needs to be a traveling trophy. Do you win it or <laughs> do you lose it? Do you win it by losing it? Uh, do we know? We haven't decided. We'll have no, I think, I think the winner, like, the, the winner just has to basically, I mean, look, those are all first-year coaches. This is why we came yeah. up with it, right? Right. Because it's, right. it's, it's Shane, Josh, oh, and Clark. We're not trying to be mean for once. No, I know. Yeah, no, I just think we're, it, I we're mean, being a little bit mean. Let's be honest. But but do you we're, we're win the bean pot by going zero and zero and two, or do you or do you go you two and zero and zero? Who's the winner? I the think, loser or the winner? I think we give it to the winner. I think in a, yeah. in a spirit of magnanimity, that if you go two and zero, <laughs> you get the bean pot. All right, this has nothing to do with LSU. How many <laughs> how many games does Coach O need to win? You guys think this job is easy? You think it's easy? It's not. You two are off the rails at all times. I, How many I definitely games? have the hijack record for most. How many games does he have to win? You're, you're I couldn't the, resist the, that one though. You're the traffic cop at a a a like Caribbean intersection, you know, where people are just. <laughs> so sorry for sorry for your luck there, Sao okay, Paulo man. All right, watch here's him come the deal. By and some. Here's the deal. They are not beating Alabama. They are not beating Texas A&M. They have, still have road games against three teams that come in thinking they are going to be better this year, like pretty optimistic teams, UCLA, uh, Kentucky, and Mississippi. If Can you win all of those? Can you win two out of three? If you only win one out of the three, guess what? You're below the over-under total, and that doesn't even count Florida, which you could absolutely lose as well. So I think those road games are huge and that starts obviously with september 4th in los angeles at the rose bowl where lsu fans are just going to run rampant and drink pasadena dry it's going to be a, really a fun thing but they're team probably already win. there they probably are they better I want win. listeners I, to send us the first sightings of lsu fans at the rose bowl i assume it'll be next week. yeah all right what's yeah. so what number did you come up with pat I'm I'm saying they're going to go eight and four, and Edo is going to be hanging by a thread with a uh, with a new press school president there, and we'll see how the boosters if the boosters rally to his defense or not. It be it would behoove him to win nine. Then is that what you're it saying? It would behoove okay. him to win nine. And it, I think this is going to be as much of a hard win number as what it looks like and feels like. So let's not underestimate the opportunity for more stories to rise and the types of stories that have arisen from LSU, not only athletically, not only football-wise, but campus-wise, have been horrific, consistently and persistently horrific. So if there is more of that, that is worse than losing, you know, by a field goal to Auburn or something like that. If there is more of this culture of sexual assault that was clearly there, uh, that was clearly there on campus. Other thing that I think when you talk about what it looks like on the field is Ed Orgeron made a pair of very unorthodox coordinator hires. We've talked about it a little bit. Like, if one of those coordinators on either side of the ball is a Bo Pelini-esque flop, and I said in a column from SEC Media Day, Bo Pelini is the worst high-profile coordinator hire in the history of modern college football. I don't think any coordinator has been paid more and flopped harder than Bo Pelini did. I'd say that's accurate. They paid him $4 million to not coach as an assistant. I don't know. Jim Chaney was the highest paid coordinator in the SEC and sucked last year. So there, there's also that one, too. That, Sully, God bless your orange-colored glasses. But that <laughs> that did not come near the Bo Pelini failing. I mean, that was – Jim Chaney's, you know, I don't know. So they were coming off a national title, and they had really good players on defense. I, I think a little bit of, like, Ed Orgeron's going to be, like, the management of, like, does the offense revert back to the Neanderthal offense that that it was early in his career there? And if I'm an LSU fan right now, I am petrified of the, we're going to Joe Brady. We're going to Joe Brady. Like, that's like, that. the only vision is, let's go be what we were. And they don't, I don't care how good their receivers are. The, the trio of receivers they had on that title team are you know, one of the best, other than the Alabama guys, the best in the last 10 years in the sport. So 
I really think like trying to recreate magic, there's a danger in it and not letting the identity of the current team dictate what the offense should look like. And I, I just, I, he sat there and said, Joe Brady and Joe Burrow 50 times at SEC media day. And I'm making that, that's an arbitrary made up number. And to me, I'm just listening to that and being like, uh uh-uh, oh man, you ain't, you ain't doing that with Garrett Nussmeyer and Max Johnson. There's a little bit of setup for failure um, with those, uh, with, with all the new parts and ambiguity schematically at LSU. Yeah, I, I would say, man, I'd want to win nine if I were him. Obviously, if you beat Bama or something like that, that changes the, the dynamic a little bit, but it's going to be, they need to start, they need to start hot. They, they, they really could, they really need to be six and oh, going when, when uh, Florida shows up in the middle of October, then, then things are fine. Uh, they could probably withstand a lot of trouble. Obviously, that includes an Arkansas win and a man. I don't know, maybe not. You finish two and four. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on LSU. One thing is, got the players to solve that problem. Virginia Tech. Let's move over to the ACC. Justin Fuentes. I would think that the uh, that the Hokies need to look like Virginia Tech again. So I, if I'm going to throw an arbitrary number up, I would say they, they need to win nine. They're 19 and 18 the last three years. They had their bull streak snapped at 27. I think they could have gone and opted out, even though they had a losing record last year. They are a mediocre football program by every metric at this point. The AD had to come out last year and say, we're keeping Justin, and here's why. And it was a pandemic. I, I think he was he, his status was helped by that. They open with North Carolina in Blacksburg. And if Sam Howell and the boys hang 55 on them, and it would be, it would basically mean North Carolina has emerged into the role Virginia Tech was in the ACC 15, 10, 10, 15 years ago, where is they're kind of like the sidecar to the dominant team. And Virginia Tech was ran shotgun to Florida State those years and tempted and pushed them. And North Carolina would really go a long way in establishing itself as the number two program in the uh, in, in the ACC. They go to West Virginia in week three, which is going to be a huge game, and then they have Notre Dame at home. So I would think they are going to be two and three to open the year. I'll give them wins over Middle and Richmond, although Fuentes had some horrible losses too, so you can't really, including some one double A, so you can't really give them anything. So I, I don't see it. I don't see it working for Justin Fuente. I think Justin Fuente gets fired after, after this year, but they need to show that they are the Virginia Tech we remember and there has been no empirical evidence that that Virginia Tech has existed in the last three years. Yeah, I think this is curtains for Fuente because, I mean, unless this team is much better than it has been, I, I don't see it. I think the schedule is challenging enough. Uh, North Carolina, obviously, they're an underdog. At West Virginia, as you mentioned, probably an underdog. Notre Dame, probably an underdog. Pittsburgh might be an underdog. And then you get four road games in the last five. Uh, I mean, even if you get to the point where you're feeling pretty good, you go into that bot last stretch there and they just haven't been the kind of team that you can say, oh, yeah, we're going to take care of business on the road. The heck, they can't say that about at home either. I mean, I think Fuente lost the fan base last year when he blew the end against Liberty and they were beaten by Liberty and then they lost by a point to Miami. I think that was a, like a wild Miami comeback there. Like they they had two games they should have won and they screwed them both up. And then the Liberty game absolutely went directly to Fuente's decision making. Uh, that was part of a four game late losing streak. And I think that the fan base is done with him. And I just don't see how you're bringing that back. And the other thing, Whit Babcock now, he has been extended. So he isn't sitting there saying, you know, I, I need Justin Fuente to succeed for me to keep my job. He has this job security to make a change there and still be the guy in charge. Yeah, they need a big, big season. I don't know. At nine might be it. Uh, I'm agreeing with you. Here's the thing, too. Like, you could lose to Carolina, Virginia, at Boston College in early November. Like, are you have you fallen behind teams that you just look down your nose at for a long time? And and you're you're stuck in that middle. I'll still that they'll beat Syracuse or some of these teams. But uh, the other thing is late in the season, their their home games are good. That are, are early, and and they have an it's a phenomenal place to watch a football game. It is a great place, but you need people coming all the way from D.C., all the way from Richmond to drive out there, and they will come for North Carolina, and they will absolutely come when they play Notre Dame. But if this goes off the rails. You will see a lot of empty seats when they play Syracuse and Duke late in the year. And so even if you win, it's almost too, it's just too late. 
Uh, they have to start fast. Um, I don't like uh, I don't like their possibility uh, there. All right, go west. Clay Helton, USC. He is on the hot seat every year. Survives and survives. Gets good recruits. Makes it. What do we got? Over under for USC is eight and a half. Uh, they have San Jose State to start, Stanford at home, at Washington State, Oregon State, at Colorado, Utah. They go to Notre Dame, Arizona, Arizona State, at Cal, UCLA, and BYU uh, to finish the season. Yep, I like their chances. I think you know. I think I think that we have seen Clay Helton, ultimate survivor. I think he can survive this too. I I think it's the the schedule. They could. You know, start out like six and zero. I think they're the they have the chance to be the best team in the Pac-12 South. They also do not play Oregon or Washington in the regular season, which are the best teams in the North. So the schedule gives them a shot. Now, San Jose State of them with was pretty darn good last year and unexpectedly still has their coach. Stanford won't be easy, but you can win those games. You're at Washington State. Nobody likes to go to the Palouse, but you should still win that. Oregon State win. At Colorado, you should be able to win. You're right there. You're, you could be 5-0 and hosting Utah, who will be better, but you could win that. All of a sudden, you're 6-0 and with a bye week going to Notre Dame, and everybody's feeling good. Uh, I don't think that's out of the question. Uh, Keaton Slovis, very good quarterback. Weapons improving around them. Uh, we talked about the last podcast. I said they need to run the ball better. They were terrible running the ball. I think uh, Graham Harrell needs to not get too air raid centric where it just says we don't doesn't matter if we can run. They need to be able to run. Offensive line should be good enough to help with that. Defense front seven, like it. Uh, we'll see. They got a couple of spots in the secondary they need to shore up. But I think that uh, USC has a chance to be a top 10, top 15 team, and that keeps Clay Helton around. I love to disagree with Pat because I know, you know, when we disagree when we make our picks, I know I'll usually be right when I disagree with Pat. So Clay Helton, the last three years, has gone 18 and 13, all right? And we've gotten lulled into – they went undefeated in the regular season last year, if you remember, and they obviously lost to Oregon, the unde undeserving Pac-12 North champ thanks to COVID. But, like, Clay Helton's team's completely undisciplined, always, like, leading the country, if not the Pac-12 in penalties – Clay Helton wears asbestos pants, man. The guy's been on the hot seat more times, and he's only still the coach because the combination of the corrupt administration at USC and the incompetent administration at USC extended him to the point where even USC couldn't afford to fire him. And then they had to run out those ADs. They brought in a new crew, Mike Bone and those guys. They've done a good job supporting Clay Helton in terms of reviving the quote-unquote front office, right? Recruiting all those things USC is actually at a level to compete nationally. The only thing holding back USC from competing nationally is Clay Helton. And so I really think this is – like they could win eight or they could win nine and still fire Clay Helton after this year because it's finally affordable to do so. And I don't think this new administration is – they're certainly not going to extend it with a huge buyout like the, like the last one. I mean that was one of the more preposterous contracts in, in modern college football. I know the talent. Keaton Slovis is a great quarterback. I just have – general skepticism that they will week in and week out live up to that as with Clay Helton as a coach. Schedule is favorable. But look, are we really going to be surprised if Stanford beats him in week two? Are we really going to be surprised if they go lay a goose egg in the in the Palouse? I just, uh, you know, Utah has, has bedeviled them some, although their games at the Coliseum, Utah struggled there. Uh, at Notre Dame, I really think will be the litmus because – USC wants to compete nationally. Notre Dame's made the playoff two the last three years. I, I really think that's when we're going to ultimately get this judgment of Clay Helton. But because they have a winning season, and if they play well in the Pac-12, I think that we're looking at the engaging Clay Helton from a little bit of a different metric this season. Notre Dame-USC game tends to, when there's a struggling coach at one or the other, that tends to be the nail. Because they just run it up on each other. And uh, it's, it's good stuff. All right, last one we're going to do. Chip Kelly, UCLA. Over Pete's under got him is twelve seven. and zero. So start with that. Yeah, Pete. But well, Dan, Dan loves firing Chip. I mean, Dan's fired Chip ten times. <laughs> Dan just wants to do podcasts about Chip. That's it. let's do a Chip pod. Now, I don't know that I fired him, but they didn't. Did they lose like some crazy game last year? Or some crazy game? I don't know. I, I yeah. Well, they, like in their opener, they are fell you behind Colorado, well? Colorado like a hundred to nothing. 
in the open. Are, are you saying well, it's no, going that Washington well? State game that we yeah. talked about, Chip, a bunch. Oh, Remember yeah, that, that crazy was two years Washington ago. State yeah. game? Yeah. 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 All right. I thought Chip Kelly at UCLA, they'd be absolutely murdering it. And I still don't know why he hasn't offered Spencer James, re-offered Spencer James. <laughs> All-American season two is now over. I will not spoil alert anyone. I'm not happy with his recruiting. Uh, he's, he's not working South Crenshaw High School well enough. But <laughs> he's not a good actor. But I thought he's a hell of a coach and they'd be killing it right now. They'd be absolutely murdering it. And they are not. So. How many wins? The over-under is seven. Could Chip Kelly get fired this year? I don't know. It might be too much money for UCLA. I guess it might be. What's the number? Pete, give it to us. So this is the number that's really important for Chip. This is one of the stranger buyouts that I've ever seen in a contract. So Chip Kelly's buyout is $9 million until January 15th. And then it's zero. Now, if you're going to fire Chip Kelly, you want to fire him December 1st. Or, or well, let me call up the schedule here. But like, you're, you're not going to wait to, to January 15th to fire him to save $9 million. Now, these things can get bought out and everything like that. But when I when I looked that up the other day, I was like, if, of all the strange things in like the, the quirks of the buyouts that we've seen, I was like, that is among the strange ones. So their season ends November 27th. Obviously, you know, I, I love UCLA, so I think they'll go to the Pac-12 title game on December 3rd. I'm kidding. But that would mean essentially seven weeks between their final regular season game and when they could save the $9 million, which is just which is just strange. So that number, the $9 million in the January 15th, if the Bruins start out slow. Now, they should beat Hawaii in week zero. That will be the most vanilla game of all time because then they have LSU and their new defensive staff obviously their coordinators come from the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see that will be vintage chip because they're going to throw the kitchen sink at that new LSU defensive staff to try to, uh, to, to, to try to, to try to gum them up and uh, get a little pucker power going on the uh, LSU defense. So chip's gone three and nine, four and eight, three and four. He is 10 and 21. They have finally a really good offensive line. DTR is back at quarterback and is, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Everything is in place for like an eight and four season here for, for for UCLA. And I think they will turn it. But again, I'm the UCLA optimist. So I'm going to uh, I, I'm going but to wh- think what that. would but they fire him on six? They go six and six. They're going to get he's going to get fired. I don't think so. I, I think if he if he goes to a bowl, I think they'll be fine. They're still paying Jim Mora. They're probably still playing Carl Durrell. I mean, they're just they're still paying Steve Alford. God, I mean, they are they are not Nebraska, but boy, they have paid some buyout money at UCLA, and they 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 do not have a uh, a, a ton of uh, a ton of cash. So I think they'll be fine, and they'll make it. It's it's interesting. So we remember Chip sort of barnstormed onto the scene. That first year as a coordinator at Oregon with Dennis Dixon. Remember that, Pat? Dennis Dixon should have won the Heisman. Oh, yeah. Uh, got got sure hurt at Arizona on a Thursday. And Chip Kelly was all about speed, right? And there were certainly some ethical vagaries in the recruiting at Oregon, Dan. We don't have to remind you. I think you broke a lot of those stories about uh, old friend Willie Lyles. Uh, well, and Will Lyles, so yeah. Everything happened fast at Oregon. And the UCLA experiment is completely opposite. They have gone from aggressive high school recruiting to being like one of the maestros of the portal. They have said, we're not going to offer 80 million kids. It's a little bit the Chris Peterson recruiting philosophy. We're not going to, you know, send you 72 Instagram messages a night. We're not going to hire an associate, you know, recruiting coordinator for TikTok. We're going to actually get to know you. We're going to offer you when we're comfortable. And we're basically, we're going to like you and you're going to like it here. And that is a slow burn in in chip at the time. He had five years, a lot of money guaranteed. And that slow burn is now coming to a head this year. Like this is the year for UCLA to look like UCLA again. Good offensive line, strong tight ends, not a ton of skill on the outside, but good at tailback, better on defense. They couldn't be much worse than some of those early years. So I think they they have a chance to be a functional upper middle class Pac-12 team. Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, if it's not going to be this year, then it's not happening, right? They got ten starters back on either side of the ball, and they're in the Pac-12 South, which is not exactly the SEC West. The LSU game obviously is a very difficult non-con game. They have just started the season so badly under Chip Kelly. They need a decent start for once. They have lost their season opener all three years. Uh, they, he started zero and five. 
his first year. He started 0-3 his second year. Last year, they just got absolutely dump-trucked for like three quarters by Colorado and then came back and made it close, but have to beat Hawaii. And then you better show up and at least be good against LSU, even if you don't win that game. Then you got Fresno. You start with three straight at home. You don't leave the state of California until October 9th. So you got a chance here. I think if... I mean, if I'm Martin Jarman, the AD there, I'm asking for seven and five. Uh, I mean, you may you may take six and six, but I would want seven and five for sure from this team this year. I'm agreeing with Pat on this. I mean, look at the first three years. You see, uh, under Kelly, they're three and nine, four and eight, and three and four. Uh, I mean, you know, like I don't think asking for more than six and six is is, is too much in year four of Chip Kelly. You wait to January 15th. Is that ideal? No, nothing's ideal at UCLA. They can still get a good coach and they can get an NFL coach at that point if they want to go back to that route. Uh, and maybe they shouldn't, but that possibility by mid-January, I don't know. But if you can't go six and six in year four at UCLA, doesn't exactly bode really well. Uh, so I would think seven wins, he's fine. Six, six and six or less trouble. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in the last pod. Let me close with this thought that they are selling alcohol at the Rose Bowl for the first time. Martin Jarman got that rule passed at Boston College. He got it passed again uh, in Los Angeles. Perhaps that's for Chip's buyout. Maybe it's the yeah. $9 million fundraiser for the, for the <laughs> LSU, LSU, LSU from, coming to town. Baton Rouge coming in. Yeah, like they, yeah. They're going to buy $9 million worth of Crown Royal like by, by the end of the first quarter. So. Uh, maybe maybe Martin Jarman's playing uh, playing chess and we're playing checkers. He's got a hits. I mean, got a got a point. Got a point. <laughs> All right, that'll uh, that'll do it for our pod this week. Keep subscribing, sharing us on social media, telling your friends about us, and uh, appreciate you all listening. <laughs>